Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. We're really glad you're here today, and I want to share with you uh, really kind of a Christmas message. Uh, It's something that's really been on my heart uh, as I've been thinking toward this season with all that's been going on. And if you want to turn in your Bibles with me or or your devices or just watch overhead, uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 11 uh, in the beginning here. Uh, This is a a model prayer, basically, that uh, the Lord taught his disciples. They saw him uh, resorting to prayer often, and uh, they they saw how important it was to him, and so they asked him, teach us to pray. Uh, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I I don't know if my prayers were getting out of the room. Am Am I among friends here? And, and they said, you know, Lord, this is, this is something that's amazing in your life, and would you teach us to do what you do? And so he basically starts out here and says, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then some versions say, and it goes on to say, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This was not meant to be a prayer that would replace your prayer. Uh, Too often we say that prayer as though that is the prayer we're supposed to pray. But this is basically a model prayer that gives the spirit of prayer that we're supposed to have it. it. It definitely answers a lot of issues in our lives. And, and the words Jesus shared here are not to be considered to be the very words we should pray in rote fashion, but rather they represent a posture of heart and a sort of outline of issues that should be on our lips when we open our hearts to the Lord in prayer. The first phrase of that prayer addresses the honor and the adoration due to the Lord, which leads immediately into the primary or big picture issue, which is his rule, his reign, his realm, if you will, his kingdom. I think any of those of us who love the Lord have that in our heart. We say, God, did you just bring your kingdom to pass? I've really been praying that in this season as we've watched all kind of hijinks going on with our election as we have, have, have suffered through this incredible time of, of distress with the virus and, and all of that. I mean, I, I, I read in the Bible, he said, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So that, it's purposeful, so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. And I wonder how that's going for us. I mean, there have been a lot of things that have been shaken loose in life around this. Life doesn't look like it looked a year ago. And it's going to look different a year from now. But in the midst of this time, I think we need to be focused on this one thing. God, let your kingdom come. Your rule, your reign, nothing can surpass it. I don't care what, what weapon the enemy throws at it. He cannot undo what God has in mind to be done. And we can comfort ourselves in that. He's a good God. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek after him. And so during times like this, it's up to us to begin to pray. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for an appropriate end to this election cycle. Will it ever end? But elections have consequences, don't they? 
And so we need to be alert. We need to be praying. We need to even be praying for the Senate races in Georgia. These are big things that are going on, and it will affect your life, your children's lives, and the life of this nation going forward. So that's the end of my political statement today. Aren't you glad? You know, this, uh, this prayer is an amazing thing. And what it, what it basically comes down to for me is knowing what to look for when I think of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is a big subject. And when we pray for the kingdom of God to come, we're talking about something that will be all-encompassing. We're talking about something that has, that has uh, indicators. You'll, you'll see it and you'll, you'll know that's God at work. And, and we want to be alert to that. But the thing that really concerns me to some degree is that praying for God's kingdom to come is not a, an automatic. That means we'll participate in it when it's coming or when it's active. I think of the Jewish people uh, alive when, when Jesus was born to the earth. They were praying as their ancestors had prayed and as they'd been told to pray for the Messiah to come. In fact, uh, Orthodox Jews still do that to this very day, but when he came, they didn't recognize him. When he came, they were expecting something else. When we talk about a king being born, we think of a king in a royal array. We think of him uh, being very visible and obviously very good-looking and very talented and very powerful and, and just, just an, a magnificent specimen uh, that would stand before us and lead us. But when he came, he came so different. The Bible tells us that when he comes, there will be nothing upon him that you should look at him and desire him. I don't want to mess with your hallmark mentality, but history kind of bears out the fact that Jesus was not even tremendously good looking. I know that's, that's horrible to say, but I, but I want you to understand something, that God is not doing something that will simply appeal to your senses. In fact, it's amazing how he often camouflages what he does in something that's not so exciting. Maybe this moment that we're in. Maybe the only way that God could prepare the world for the revival that's coming is to undercut some of the things that were supporting us, some of the things that that made us feel good about life and good about ourselves and good about the world around us, maybe so that he could introduce the real answers We don't know yet, do we? But when we pray for God's kingdom to come, don't be surprised if it doesn't look like what you thought. In fact, if you're like our brothers in in the Jewish faith, they, 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 they missed the whole thing so badly that they actually killed the one the Lord sent in answer to their prayers. That's frightening to me in one sense of the word to think that somehow I could be praying the right prayer and miss the answer. What do, you, what do you think about that? I mean, have you ever been guilty of that? And uh, it, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing that can actually happen to us. And I just want to say, you know, be, be careful about that. We want to be careful and, and, and avoid at all costs making the same kind of mistake by superimposing our own concept of what the manifestation of God's kingdom should look like. For purposes of perspective, let me suggest a baseline, uh, maybe a d- backdrop, I could say, uh, for my comments today. And here it is. One day in the future, 
God's kingdom will be openly manifested in all its astoundingly glorious and prestigious reality to all mankind. Currently, however, although powerfully active, God has chosen to primarily reveal his kingdom through empowering the voice and the actions of the common man and woman who obediently embrace his will and authority. That's a, that's a, that's a shocking thing. Because what God does, he does it in ways that are so subtle sometimes that we don't realize it's him. And I'll, I'll, back, what up, I'll back up what I just said here shortly. When we look at the various instances throughout Scripture where heaven invaded earth and God's kingdom advanced, there seems to be one common denominator, and it's this. God chose to impact our planet through people that were often the oppressed, the marginalized, and the disadvantaged. If the Lord had not raised them to prominence, they probably would have remained invisible and forgettable, just faces in the crowd. It's amazing to me when I look through Scripture, and I'll give you a quick, a quick rundown here. When we look at some of the people that changed history for the kingdom of God's sake, we first of all find Abram. He was an idol worshiper. He lived down in Ur of the Chaldees. He had no idea of a God in heaven, and he worshiped idols made, by, made of stone and wood. Moses, born to the slave class, many, many generations in his background for over 400 years were slaves, and he was born as a slave. He became a murderer and likely also was handicapped to some, de- to some degree in speech. Gideon. Depressed and memorial, demoralized, pardon me, by his oppressors. David, the youngest and apparently a disfavored child in his own family and served as a shepherd. And we come to the Christmas story. Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were old, they were rural, and they were barren. This is an amazing part of this story, which I've talked about in years gone by. Zacharias was a priest, but he was not a priest of the elite class. He was from a a backwoods town. And there was no respect in the Jewish religion for priests of that nature. In fact, they were called rurals or rustics, but the popular name for them were idiot priests. They were never consulted in the big, big settings. They were never asked for their opinion. They never got to participate in the important moments of the Jewish religion and faith. They were not highlighted. In fact, they were, they were a lower class of people. And it was to this man. Over, and, and Josephus said over 60, the, winters, the snows of 60 winters had fallen upon his head. He was at the very end of his lifespan. And he'd prayed with his wife, Elizabeth. And all these years, they'd prayed for a child, and they'd been barren. If you know anything about that culture, you would know that them being barren and being priests would have brought a lot of shame on them because it would have been assumed that there was sin in their life, and God would not honor them with a child. And it was to these people. These people that the world could care less about that God called and put his hand upon Zacharias and caused him to be called to do the most honored thing in the Jewish faith and burn incense before the Lord in the holy place. 
That's amazing. Of all the people, of all the people, God chose somebody that no one would care if he lived or died. And he chose an elderly woman who was well past childbearing age and had prayed and cried and lived a righteous life all those years. And now in this moment, in the autumn of their lives, God touches them and says, I want you to bear the prophet that will be the forerunner for my son. Can you imagine that? That still amazes me to this day when I think about God's goodness to people that the world doesn't notice. Mary and Joseph were crying out loud. These people had nothing to offer. A matter of fact, they were poor. The only thing they had was the proper lineage to go along with the prophecies that said where the Messiah was going to come from. And, and, and Mary was very, very young, probably 13, 14 years of age. And Joseph was robbing the cradle for a man probably 16 or 18. And, and, uh, and, and, and basically they were beginning to move toward marriage and the spousal process. And she would be living in his parents' home with him for a year or so up to the time of their actual marriage. And during that process, as we heard it declared in song this morning, the Lord sent an angel, not just any angel, but an archangel to this young lady and spoke to her and and she said, what manner of of speech is this? She she was stunned. I mean, she she was just being a a good godly person and, and the angel of the Lord comes to her and asks her to do something that is so crazy. He said, you're going to be with child. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to bear this child. And she said, I, you know, I don't have a husband. And he says, no, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And, you know, that had never happened before in history. She wasn't, she wasn't a child of the temple. She probably didn't even know about the prophecies to that effect. And, and, and God came to her in her ignorant state and elevated her into participant. I want you to catch that. That's how the kingdom comes often. The Lord comes to us and begins to bring us into things that are far beyond our understanding. Your understanding is not necessarily germane to your participation initially. The question is, are you willing to let the kingdom come and find a home in you? Are you willing to let the Lord do through you what you cannot do by yourself? That to me is the most exciting message that there is because God wants to involve us in things that totally are of him. He wants to elevate us beyond our own natural capabilities. Our capabilities sometimes even get in the way of what God wants to do because we say we got this and we can use it for God. I get that and that may be the case. But the ultimate thing is God wants to take you beyond your capabilities and let you participate in something known as the kingdom of God. He wants to bring heaven to earth in a million different ways through a million different people. And that's what we call body ministry. To me, it's extremely exciting. I've got to live long enough to see that play out in our own congregation here. Then on top of that, the Lord, in ancillary ways, brings others into this whole thing, the shepherds. Now, this, this group right here, you would not even want to let your child be anywhere near these guys. 
These people were the, literally the lowest rung on the social ladder. Uh, they wouldn't even be allowed to bring testimony in a court of law. They were literally the kind of people you don't want to associate with. And it's amazing that an entire angel choir appeared to them and said, this day is born to you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And not far away at the temple, those that were praying for the Messiah had no clue. But God chose the outcasts of society, the shepherds, and announced it with not only a one angel, but a choir of angels. And then they became instant evangelists, and they began to share it everywhere what had happened. You would think God would choose people who had credibility. Huh? But instead, he chose people that nobody trusted. But he poured out his spirit on them in such a way that their, their testimony was compelling to people. And they were the first to be able to know that the Savior was born and where he would be. It's incredible. And then finally, you know, we look at the disciples. These guys, literally, men that changed the world. The world has never been the same. We're here today because of them. And yet all 12 of them were people that you know, they were just average guys at best. They, they weren't anybody that you think, oh, there's a lot of promise in that one right there. We had tax collectors. We had fishermen. Uh, you know, we had, we had folks that really didn't have it all together. We saw their issues play out as they walked with Jesus. But yet the Lord was not ashamed to call them brethren. He's not ashamed to live with them. He's not ashamed to give his entire mission to them when he ascended into heaven. It's an amazing thing that God builds a person from the inside out once they say yes. Once they say yes, their potential skyrockets. How far does God want you to go? As far as, as you let him go. Our lives belong to him. He breathed it into us. But he also breathed some of his nature into us. And when we turn our lives over to him, he begins to, to literally water that and bring that out and pour out his Holy Spirit upon us and bring us beyond what we could ever be in a million years by ourselves. And I look at the scripture and I think about kingdom coming. I think about what God is, is about to do on earth. And, and, I, and I have to say to you today that where sovereign moves of God are concerned, he's going to do what only he can do. But he is also looking for partners. The worldwide thing that God is going to do before it's all said and done, the outpouring that's going to eclipse any, anything we've known in the past and, and the in-bringing of, of multitudes of people into his kingdom is about to happen. I believe it with all of my heart. And God is going to look for volunteers. He's going to look for people that would come along and say, Lord, be it unto me like Mary did. Be it unto me according to your word. But whatever you have in mind, please do it through me. I, I want to give you my life. And as you all know, when you give control of your life to the Lord, there is a management struggle that goes on. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? Does God always let you do what you want to do? Or does he sometimes say you've got to die? You've got to lay down your life, pick up your cross, which is an instrument of your own death, and follow me. And it seems frightening to us because we've got it pretty well figured out. 
We've been raised. We know how life is supposed to go. We know what the goals ought to be. We know what the priorities ought to be. But God says, you know what? Let's just erase all of that. We'll, we'll, we'll eat the fish and spit out the bones. We'll take the good parts of that and the character things that, you, that you've learned. But, but we want to do some other things. And it goes like this. We say what we hear him saying, and we realize we can only do what we see him doing. There's this dependence thing that has to happen. There's this opportunity for us to, to give the resource that God requires and, and wants. It's an amazing thing. He says, just give me your life, and I'll pour myself through you. I want to read you a couple of passages of Scripture that, that I love, but before I do that, I want to I mention this. I've always loved the sage observation attributed to President Abraham Lincoln regarding people just like these we've spoken of. He said this, the Lord must really love the common man because he made so many of them. The Apostle Paul addressed God's habit of choosing and employing the same sort of common people that President Lincoln referred to in two very insightful statements in the Corinthian letters. And I, I want to spend just a moment here with you on this. But in 1 Corinthians ch- chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, I'm going to go ahead and read these to you because they're so poignant. He says, For you see or consider your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not, not many, not many mighty, not many noble, which means well-born or basically upper class, are called. What? Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a major statement. It says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world or the lowly things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You know, there's, there's something special about people that, that recognize that. You know, I listen to Charity lead and sing and, and worship like she does. That's, that's something God put in that girl. That wasn't learned in some music school somewhere. Oh, yeah, we study and hone our gifts. But when you see people that are, are literally sacrificing any ambition that they might have otherwise and saying, God, just, just use me. Just, just pour yourself through me. And we all get to be blessed by that. And I want you to conceive of this with me. This has driven me for 40 years of ministry. What would it be like if everybody surrendered to the Lord in that way? What would be? What would he create if he had full liberty to move through our life in the way that would please him most? And we would never dare to take the credit for it because we realize that whatever good comes out of me had to come from him. 
And when we start not being anything that people would think, oh, that, now that is awesome. If I could just be like that. If we start with another baseline, that without him we can do nothing. But then we learn that through him we can do all things through Christ Jesus. Wow. It would be so fun to watch how the world would respond because the giftings would be so free and so powerful and so free of ego that people would feel safe in taking from us. And then they would be inspired and they would, they would do the same thing. This is what has, has driven me for years. You know, the body grows by that which every joint supplies if every part of the body of Christ was supplying what God was pouring through them, it would be incredible. But you know, at first we have to come to the end of our self. Because my self has an agenda. You know, you can notice it in other people, but not always so much in yourself. But there comes this moment of surrender that each of these people I talked about had to come to. Everybody has a chance to say no. Everybody has a chance to say later. Everybody has a chance to say, well, I'll go this far. But what would happen? What is going to happen on planet Earth before it's all said and done? Maybe what we've been going through is part of that. Maybe the stripping down of, of false agendas and, and false dreams and all those kind of things. Maybe, maybe the Lord is setting before us an open door that says, you want to come on into my kingdom? Do you want to walk in my spirit? Do you want to live life as, as an outflow of my heart toward the earth? I, I don't know yet, but I have a sense that that's part of what we're going through. And rather than us wringing our hands over the situation, and it is a mess, maybe, just maybe, we need to learn from what Paul talked about as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a life-changing verse. It was for me. As a young guy, I found myself sitting on a, on a hotel bed in, in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, where I'd been invited to come and speak to a citywide meeting, and I suddenly realize I have no business being here. Who am I? I mean, good grief. I don't have anything to say to these people. And in my Bible, there was a little pamphlet that I'd picked up somewhere. I don't know where I got it, but it was from a pastor named Judson Cornwall. And Judson had written a little pamphlet, just a little short message entitled, God in the Styrofoam Cup. And it came from this verse, chapter 4, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians. It said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Hmm. Seems to be a common message here. And... Judson was talking about this because in this particular context, the earthen vessel was not like the expensive pottery that we buy today. We've got a lady in our church that, that throws pots. And I mean, don't th- doesn't throw them at people, but she makes pottery. And, and it's expensive because it's an art form. But back in the day, that's all you had. I mean, there was a potter everywhere. And, you know, you didn't go to Walmart or Target because you, they weren't there. So you went to the potter, and they made you vessels out of clay, and they were fragile, and they were cheap, 
And basically, you had no choice. But the interesting thing is that people during those times would hide their valuables in these clay pots. Because no one would think of looking for something valuable in a clay pot. And they would maybe put some flour or something over top of it, and they've got their, their jewels or whatever it would be that they considered valuable in this clay pot hiding in there. And the, the picture is that, that the contents of the pot are so much more powerful and valuable than the pot itself. It outshines the pot. And that's what Judson was talking about and how God puts his very best, the treasure of his kingdom, the treasure of salvation, the treasure of, of the spirit of God inside something so common that you can miss it, that you wouldn't expect it from that. You pass it right by. And sometimes it's the person that you don't think has Two cents worth of, of worth or, or intelligence or wisdom that God just wants to pour something into so that you know that came from God. They didn't come up with that. And yet we're trying to polish the vessel all the time. We're cool. You know, I, I heard Mario Murillo talking about the church as it's come to be. And, and maybe we're guilty of this, I don't know, but he says, you know, big screens, fog machines, and skinny jeans. <laughs> we have all the above. But here's the thing. There's something in authentic people that can't be produced by outward manipulation. And the Bible is full of these people. And they've changed our lives and they've introduced us to eternal things and they've, they've been forerunners for us that we should take advantage of the wisdom that they found and find it ourselves. But God, God wants to put a treasure in your vessel. You may be well-educated. You may be super good-looking and super smart. You may have everything going for you, but there's something that we need to understand that every one of us is born in poverty of spirit. We're born without any way to accomplish the things that God wants to accomplish through us. And he invites us to surrender to him and let that process begin. I'm trying to figure out when I have to be done here. I forgot to ask today. You know, when I, when I think of these people that God used, you know, think of Gideon. I think of uh, the shepherd boy named David, the host of beleaguered and persecuted prophets like Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Or since they're no longer available, people like you and me. Maybe even with the issues we may be facing. When we consider all the evidence, the trend is clear. God's looking for vessels through whom he can release his kingdom. In critical moments throughout history, God has chosen to identify with and embrace common people, often those whose society tends to ignore or reject, and through them, he is pleased to reveal his kingdom. Virtually all the heroes of faith lived through periods of isolation and oppression. Their difficulties often provided the perfect social camouflage to obscure divine activity from spiritually insensitive people, yet at the same time, revealing himself to those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. Nowhere was this more evident than in the Christmas story. On this incredible occasion, we see the ultimate expression of God's kingdom coming to earth. 
God's only son, entering the world as a human, born with the DNA of the most common sort. It seems incomprehensible that God would submit himself to the limits of human flesh, peasant flesh at that, so that he might establish his kingdom among us. I can't imagine that anyone who was praying for the Lord's kingdom to emerge on earth would really have ever pictured it happening this way. Can I get an amen to that? You know, at the moment we're grappling with a world that has seemingly gone mad. As part of the madness, we're seeing a growing cloud of persecution against conservative Christian beliefs and practices. And in another bizarre twist, we find ourselves in the grip of a pandemic. Rather than wring our hands in desperation, we must remind ourselves that these things cannot stop the advancement of God's kingdom. In fact, it is my personal conviction they're creating an environment that will lead to a great hunger for the hope that only Jesus can deliver. A lot of our crutches have been swept away in this situation. As we attempt to address the needs around us, we need to be aware of an enemy that is even more dangerous to us than this virus, namely a wave of depression and anxiety exacerbated by the social isolation that's forced upon our world. In Japan last month, month of October I should say, there were more deaths to suicide that were logged the entire year with COVID. California has a similar story. South Korea recently a suicide rate among young ladies in their 20s has stunned the country. The only reason we don't have more statistics about this is it usually takes over two years for a nation to report their suicide rate. These are just two. Folks, isolation is an enemy. I can't say it any, any stronger than that. The Bible says that he who isolates himself seeks his own way and rages against all wise counsel. And now we have the internet so that we can share that. It's a mess out there. Isolation is not your friend. The Bible tells us that We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, and even more so as we see the day approaching. Why should we be surprised when the enemy comes down to us and has great wrath, knowing that he has but a short time? He wants to make sure we don't get together. Because Moses' song declared that one can put to flight a thousand and two, ten thousand. There's something that happens exponentially when God's people are together. Let's don't drink the Kool-Aid that we need to stay isolated. The countries that have isolated their people in continual lockdowns have suffered a far greater death rate than any other countries. There's something about the human soul that doesn't do well when they're shut up and they cannot live their life. They live in fear, they live in frustration, they live in hopelessness, and they resort to all kind of false remedies to deal with all of that. I'm just here to say, there's got to be an end to this thing and let it start with you, with you being a person that engages with people even have to have to be electronically, even if that's the case. But let's don't give up 
on fellowship because it strengthens everybody in the process. Amen to that. Now more than ever, joy, peace, and righteousness, which, are, which Romans 14, 17 declares are the benchmarks of God's kingdom, need to be in display in our lives. As Heath Adamson so brilliantly laid out for us last week, we are the descendants of Jesus' promise that the very gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What an incredible honor to be able to declare his message of hope to this generation. As we close out perhaps the most difficult year in many of our lives, beware of the devastating effects of isolation and separation from fellowship with your brothers and sisters. You know, it's, it's important that, that we just pound that into each other. God is looking for folks just like you and me to shine like lights in contrast to the darkness of our day. He's looking for common people to engage with him and doing amazing things, kingdom things. Biblical history is very clear on the fact that other than in creation itself, there has never been a major advance of God's kingdom without human partners, and it will be so until Jesus comes again. As believers, I imagine most of us have taken the Lord's direction at some time to pray that his kingdom come, and that his will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. But the question remains, Will we recognize the day of our visitation? Will we be like Moses, Gideon, Mary, and the rest who recognize the kingdom moment and acted accordingly? Or will we, like the unbelieving Jews of Jesus' day, continue to pray appropriate prayers without realizing that what we seek has already been dispatched and stands waiting unrecognized in our midst? How does this kingdom come? It comes in a multitude of ways. But almost always, it involves people like us. Would you stand? Celebrating Christmas as, as a child, we always wanted to leave Santa a snack. And Dad would sneak in and take bites out of various things, and we think, hey, Santa must have enjoyed it. I think this morning uh, that same mentality exists. I, I heard my grandson talking about having a present for Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. It's his birthday after all. I wonder what he would love most today. I have a sense that I know, and I'm persuaded that I'd like to give it to him. And that is my whole heart. It's all he died for, so that he might raise up a family of people that look like him, so that he might reach out to people that are going to split hell wide open one of these days without remedy. I wonder if this Christmas we could just lift our hands to him. And say, Lord, be it unto me according to your word. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in this piece of earth, just like it is in heaven. Let there be no resistance from me, 
Let my heart be open to your slightest whisper. Let my hands be busy doing what you would do if you were me. God, I give you my mind, which has been tormented and frustrated and twisted by all that's going on. And I say, God, would you come? Bring your peace, bring your wisdom, so that I might shine in dark places wherever I go. And I might introduce people without hope to the very author of Satan. So, Father, I give you myself this Christmas. I ask you to fill me with your heart's desire and do with me even as it was illustrated through Jesus. I welcome that this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week.